We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now this week, we are book clubbing Jenna Jameson's memoir titled How to Make Love Like a Porn Star, A Cautionary Tale, published in 2004. And teenage me read it the week it came out. This is the Jenna Jameson, who is arguably the first mainstream female porn star to cross over into pop culture. And I just have to say this book is very fun, but also very intense, surprising. And it affected me so much as a teenager. And before we go any further, I have to tell you, this episode is going to be graphic. Very, very graphic. So if sexual language and content is not your thing, you might want to skip the Jenna Jameson episode. It is also a highly traumatic book. So this is also a sexual trauma trigger warning. And with all that being said, sadly, this book is what taught me how to give a blowjob. So let's dive in. Sometimes I look at porno movies and I go, man, that girl is so good looking. How could she be in porno movies? Right. Like I can't figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Listen. I have a lot of porno stars in here, but a lot of them I reject because it's like, you know, how many times can you have a porno star in? But then when I saw your pictures, you were such a piece of ass. I mean, look at this. Is that a modeling ad or what? I thought yeah. that was, you know, some look at that. Sports Jeez. Illustrated model. Yeah. So then I said, she's got to have a really screwed up story because she's so damn beautiful. Like, I see beautiful women in these pornos and I go, how the hell do they get them why to have like, are they in there? like wild monkey sex in these <laughs> pornos? 
Yeah. You have to have had a screwed up childhood, right? No, actually. Oh, come on. Something actually, happened. My dad was a cop. And he never molested Maybe you? Maybe it's a rebellious thing. Yeah. You know? Okay, that was Jenna Jameson's first appearance on Howard Stern, a pivotal career point. He kind of launched her into the mainstream world because he thought she looked, quote, normal and like a Calvin Klein model and couldn't believe she was in porn and brought her on the show. We'll get to it later. But we are diving into everything Jenna Jameson with a very special guest. Now, I read this book in high school with my best friend, who is here with us today, Alex Cordy. Hi! Thank you for coming on. I mean, you immediately were like, we're obviously doing Jenna Jameson. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. But you have like more Jenna Jameson experience. So tell us the story. Well, me and my roommate in college, she was doing like a book signing at, I guess it was like a sex shop. And it was like us in the parking lot with like 400 just creepy men. And we like oh, got no. to the front. It was like me and like my college roommate. She's like, oh my God, you guys should stay. Like you, you should hang out with me. Like <laughs> stay here, stay here. I need other women here. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this shit kind of cool. Like, what was it like um, meeting her? She's tiny. I didn't notice that. Like I was like giving her a hug and I was like, this, like, am I going to break her? Like, <laughs> yeah. Also, but. I have to point out you are currently in a Jenna Jameson t-shirt. Did it come yes. from the same event? It did. Yeah, I bought the t-shirt at the event. She signed it. Says, Alex, so hot. Love, Jenna. She also wrote the same in the book. But <laughs> Okay, a very specific, unique message only for you, I'm sure. Right, right. I, yeah, she's never written that in anyone else's before. I just know it. <laughs> okay, so I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. We were so drawn to each other, and I did an episode last year. Um, it's like the cookies bonus episode where I shared a memoir, which is a, um, you know, really tragic story about the one of the worst things that ever fucking happened to me in high school. But in that story— Yes, I did listen to it. I published—you <laughs> did, yeah. Well, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> I published <laughs> a newspaper column with my best friend to try and, like, help— in what was going on with me. And that newspaper column was run by Alex called Ask Alex. And we ran the school paper. So if you yes. heard that episode, this is the <laughs> journalism Alex. <laughs> the Ask Alex. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I'm actually like really nervous to do this episode because like the time I read this book in and the time I met you in just like takes me back to a time that I hate visiting. I just have to say that I'm very nervous because I bet it's going to come out. But I do want to brag about you a little bit and give your bio, your, your bio written by me. Like, what is my bio? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to start dark, but then it'll get fun. I only had one friend stand by me in high school. Um, oh, see, I'm already crying <laughs> And it was you. I can't cry like two minutes in the podcast. This is so bad. Um, but I only had one friend stand by me and it was you. And we dropped out of high school together. Uh, Thelma and Louise just driving off the cliff of junior year. Oh, I knew I would cry. Um, and um, it, it was just, if I didn't have you, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. It would have gone so much worse. And wow, it already went bad. But after we dropped out, we went our separate ways and uh, eventually did find our way to degrees. And right. you have lived such <laughs> an incredible life since then. How many countries have you been to now? Oh, um, I 
probably around 70 or 80. Yeah. I've been to seven continents. I do know that yeah. number for sure. Well, that's the one I really wanted to brag about because so Alex has become this world traveler, um, speaks multiple languages. She's so cool. And she we couldn't record this episode for a long time because Alex was living in Antarctica. And you and a lot of people are like, I'm sorry, what? But yeah, she found a way to get her ass to Antarctica. One <laughs> one headline of what life in Antarctica is like. You have to have like a look, maybe a screw or two loose to be there in general. But like <laughs> yeah. the community, definitely what makes it. I mean, I was a janitor. I will say that out front. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the work wasn't anything exciting. Everyone's like, oh, are you a scientist? I'm like, yeah, I was, you know, doing research on the custodial arts. It was fantastic. <laughs> but but it's, it's a lot of work, but the community makes it worth it. You just meet so many people there where you're like, everyone has a story. And how makes, many people live on Antarctica? Well, so in Antarctica, there's about 50 stations, but they're all by like different countries and they all have around 50 to 60 people. I mean, first world countries, obviously, not every country, but the U.S. weird has like three and they have the biggest base, which has like 500 to 1,000. It was a COVID year, so we only had about 500, Um, but it's like the only base that has basically that much support staff, you know, like power, water. So it's like you have like electricians, you have plumbers, you have janitors, like cooks, you know, are you every, are you just now career. listing people that you dated? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I know how your travels go. Um, I need the blog. Um, well, uh, I just have to say, look at us. Two little townies making their dreams come true. I know. When you said we dropped out of high school together, I was like, oh, you make us sound like so bad. It's such a, like, a disconnect sometimes, especially when I list the details of that time. Like I cannot match them with who I am, especially like dropping out of high school. I'm just like, wow, right. I really did fucking drop out of high school. Because we right. had to. It wasn't a choice. Go listen to the sad episode if you want the story. We're not doing it here. We're talking Jenna Jameson. So <laughs> let's dive into the book. First, I have to say... This book is written incredibly. It's captivating. It's clear. It's so juicy. It's also like very corny, extremely sexist, misogynist, racist. But it's, when I say written well, like it just, you can see why it was like a bestseller for years. Like it came out in 2004 in a time when we were real pieces of shit. And this book was incredible at it. I have to say this, the more than Ghostwriter, he's got front cover credit, is Neil Strauss, which when I did an Instagram story about this book, a lot of people did not know who Neil Strauss was, which is crazy because I feel like he was such a pivotal figure in our lives because he wrote The Game, which is that book about how you trick women to sleep with you. And it really parlayed into some deep rape culture, Reddit threads, and really, really bad stuff. Like, And then he wrote, he wrote a lot of those books, just kind of like, how do you trick women into sleeping with you? It played a big role in my life because men were always trying to run that game. <laughs> always trying to run that game on me. <laughs> and uh, But I had read the book. Did it ever so I'd, work? I, I would always be like, you're doing an opener on me. Um, but this Neil Strauss, so kind of becomes famous doing these like how to trick women books and then rebranded himself into a podcast host who solves murders. That's true. He has a podcast called To Live and Die in LA where he literally solves murders, um, which tracks because he kind of wrote the book like a murder mystery. Did you get that feeling from the book? I mean, now that you say that, like I do kind of get it because it kind of like flashes back. Yeah, well, okay. I want to read 
especially you want to read the prologue and you'll see what I mean by like, it's juicy. Like imagine you're a teenager reading this, but also like, just listen. Very first sentence, the prologue. She was young, beautiful, and damned. Her name was Vanessa and she was dead. Oh yeah, that is ooh, that is so right. Like, like I feel like I'm reading like a murder she wrote. Um, and then it, and this is the tone of the book. Vanessa was thin, tan, and graceful with perfect boobs, a broad, muscular back, and wire straight blonde hair cut in bangs that grazed her eyebrows. When she walked into the crazy horse too for her first day of work, she instantly attracted customer and stripper alike. Some people are beautiful, others are sexy, but Vanessa was both. Add to this intelligence and a wicked sense of humor, and she was a goddess, at least to my 17-year-old mind. No man could resist emptying his wallet for her. So, (laughs) but also, you know, we're starting off with a murdered woman, and it's her friend. Um, And that's how the book starts. And so I was like, oh, yes, this is that, like, mystery, mystery, the con artist man, and murder mystery, the tone of the book, Neil Strauss is writing. Well, then I feel like it goes into like so much of like the softcore porn aspect where you're like, this is still like a romantic novel where like the murder mystery and then we're going to like go into like these descriptive like sex scenes. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and like, he's like really into it. And I I am like, man, I can't believe we didn't get a woman to write this book. But in 2004, <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't even know if they were looking for it. So I can't believe it was 18 years ago. I was like looking at that earlier. Yeah. Like, man. I read this book out. We were children. (laughs) I know. Like, also, rereading it, I was like, oh, my God. I, like, shouldn't have had this book. And I swear to God, I think we got it, like, off the table at, like, uh, an Urban Outfitters, like, that one time we went to the big city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I'm sure. Um, So, to give you kind of, there's so much in the book, so many photos, so many clippings. So, we won't be able to get into all of it. So, I'm just going to give an overview of Jenna's story. Her mom dies really young. And her dad, who is a cop, right? Yeah. Yeah. He is like, becomes a single dad, but like, he really doesn't have the, um, I want to say resources, but like, doesn't have the faculties to be a dad and take care of her. So she's kind of just like running wild with her brother on her own. And um, she's 16 years old. And she tells her brother, she's like, I want to get a tattoo. And he takes her to a tattoo shop where there is a 25-year-old tattoo artist named Jack. And he becomes her boyfriend, even though she is a 16-year-old child, gives her her butt tattoo that says Heartbreaker, which is a famous (laughs) tattoo of hers. And do you have that tattoo, Alex? I was just going to say, I was like, do you have that tattoo? (laughs) I do not. (laughs) No, I never went that. No, I never went that crazy. I do have a lot of tattoos. Same here, but not that one. (laughs) So immediately, um, and this is the first starting point of the book. um, It gets really dark. She, Jack takes her to this boat party and where they're like, on, I think, Lake Mead. But maybe that's just because Lake Mead is where I went as a kid. But in my head, it's Lake Mead. I was like, I have been on where you are. So she's like, they're on a boat, just kind of like hanging on the lake. And they're just like partying. And a man named Preacher, who is like 30 to 40 years her senior, takes her on the boat and rapes her. And when she returns to her boyfriend, Jack, who brought her to this party, she tells him, but he does nothing. And when she comes home, she's basically been stranded on this boat with, you know, it's the year it was in. Like, there's not phones or anything. So she, her dad just thinks she's disappeared for two days because they refuse to bring her back to land. She had no right home. She's a 16-year-old girl. So when she gets home, she's been gone for days. Her dad starts screaming at her. 
But she's like, oh my God, he is like, how dare he do this to me after what I went through, even though he doesn't know what just happened. And she packs her bags and runs away from home, moves in with Jack the day after her rape when she is 16 years old. <sighs> Did I miss anything? Uh, no, I mean, we can get into the rapist and who Vanessa is. Let's get into it. All right, so she's living with Jack. She's 16. She's like, time to make it on my own. So she goes into a strip club called the Crazy Horse 2. It is her first time ever in a strip club. And she is there to ask for a job to be a stripper. She's never even been in a strip club before. And the owner is like, uh, come back when you don't have braces anymore. Like you're too young to work here because she has full braces on. So she goes well, that home. that goes on throughout the whole book where everyone's like, you look like you're 12. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we're, like one of her porn, her porn sets, they're like, um... Where's your mom? Like, yeah, because she's her, her face looks childlike, <laughs> but she's really small. But also the horrific, disgusting part of this is a lot of her porn success has right. to do with how young she looks, right. which is right. horrifying. <laughs> um, Men are so and, gross. Um, <laughs> and so she goes home, gets a pair of pliers, and breaks her braces off her own teeth. She's screaming. It's painful. She's drinking. Comes back into the strip club and is like, I don't have braces anymore. And they're like, all right, time to get up on stage. Uh, You know, as you do when a child had braces on the day before. So she starts stripping and she becomes friends with a fellow stripper named Vanessa, who's the woman we met earlier in the book who has Is dead. And at some point, like, they're very good friends, but Vanessa's dad is preacher. And one day Vanessa's like, are you fucking my dad? Like my dad said weird things about you. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not. Your dad raped me. And Vanessa's like, I'm going to confront him. This, I hate him. Like I'm cutting him out of my life and I'm seeing him tomorrow night. And the next night she's dead and Jenna finds her body. It comes out that he was raping her as well. Like he was raping his own daughter. And, like, she was going to confront it. So, like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly. I believe you because it's happening to me as well. And she's dead. Like, she's dead. And they're like, she knows it's preacher, but, like, there's no justice in the book. And she's a teenager at this point. And this is, like, kind of how her life is starting. Yeah, she's, like, not even 18. I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, like, very formative years. And this is how her brain is forming. And she's so distraught by Vanessa's death that she starts using meth which I can't imagine helped anything. And then at the same time, she starts experimenting with sleeping with women. But she's really struggling with being gay. And because she's from a world and a culture and a year where like, that's the worst thing ever. And so she's playing it like, oh, this is like the sexy thing I'm doing with girls, like to show men, but inside is like struggling with her sexual identity, which I didn't I didn't remember that as much until my second read of the book. Like, did it surprise you, like, how much of an internal struggle that was? I mean, I guess I always kind of took it as, like, you know, every, like, men just kept betraying her and, like, abusing her, that it was like, oh, well, at least a woman, like, maybe that won't happen as much, that it was kind of more of, like, an emotional, like, at least a woman can't physically hurt me as much as I could to her, you know, like, more of a mutual... But I think that's I think that's because it was written in 2004. Like sort of like, well, it's emotional. Like she, Jenna Jameson's not, you know. But I like reading it this time. I was like, oh, she. This was this is like a true like sexual identity crisis that was living in this like misogynist world of like women are only gay for like frivolous reasons. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, I guess too, when you think of like a porn star, it's like, well, I feel like yeah, of course you're bi because you're doing girl on girl scenes like it just never like was like oh okay is that your who you really are is that right. just 
your career or like even as a stripper, as a point, I mean, any, how much of that is actually like your life versus your job? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I get this and she was really struggling with that. And then yeah. she always wanted to be a model. She meets this woman, Julie Parton, who's like, let's take some sexy photos and I will make sure they get in front of these like huge photographers. And she basically gets fully used at her first photo shoot where they just take thousands of like extremely graphic photos of her, but she's hoping she becomes a model. And like those will eventually lead her into um, different parts of her career, but later. And then we get to, so it's like, you're in this traumatic story. A lot is happening. And then we get to the 10 blowjob commandments. And you're like, wow. <laughs> and again, I was like, wow, I can't believe this was like what I was taking into my brain as a teenager. Um, so I want to read, the, <laughs> I want to read some of them. Because we really discuss a lot of this, Alex. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I know, and rereading some of them, I was like, oh man, I would never do that though. <laughs> it's funny too, she writes, if a girl wants to keep a man in her life, she can read the rules. Again, a horribly sexist book, or she can learn how to give killer head he'll never forget. Okay, I gotta tell you, neither of these are gonna work, ladies, but whatever. So unlike the previous set of commandments, these are for female readers or for male readers to give their girlfriends, how dare. If a man I was with like handed me this, I'd be like- Oh my God, he would, yeah, he would be dead. Yeah, <laughs> dead. So number one, thou shall make eye contact. Number two, thou shall start slow. Number three, thou shall use thy hands wisely. And this is something that imprinted in my brain and literally never left. She said, again, very graphic. In addition to stroking him, try tickling his balls a little. Two-handed stroking, especially if both hands are twisting in different directions in rhythm. This led to young Chelsea giving blowjobs like she was cracking pepper over your salad at an Italian restaurant. <laughs> Every time <laughs> I was intimate with somebody. I mean, I was just grinding away. <laughs> it's like, tell me when to stop the pepper growing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. God. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I just remember being like, whoa, what a sexual trick. Because I, I, I think before this, I thought blowjobs, you blew into, I thought you like blew air. That's like you were blowing a blow up a job, right? Right, right. It only makes sense. And so a positive force in our lives, but I do think sexual information is positive because we didn't have any. I think we like gobbled this up. Well, did you ever take, so the, the one commandment that stood out to me was the experiment with facials and swallowing, that you need to experiment <laughs> with face shots. <laughs> I, like, well, I also um, remember like a huge thing, at least in the high school we were in, is like, do you swallow? And like that it, I remember it was like, well, you're a total slut if you do, but you're like really bad at sex if you don't. And like, <laughs> you know, the conundrum of, um, you know, the corner we put women into. But um, right. that's the other one where I remember like, oh, gosh. And, and that's the men talking, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's not the, well, yeah, exactly. Oh, I um, know, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I will say this book, you know, this is why we got to give kids sexual education or we're going to get it from Jenna Jameson. <laughs> right, this is why we have sex ed, guys. Come on. Yeah, support on. this. The time is now. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, it's just such a, despite her being bisexual, um, all of the sex information is about how to please men, like, women-pleasing men. Like, there's no sexual information. Like, there's definitely, like, describing her hookups with women, but there's no, like, commandments on how to make a woman come. Right. 
I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's just because like women don't come know. scientifically. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> so then she uh, is approached via her photos of like, would you want to do a porn? And Jenna is still with her boyfriend, Jack, and it's extremely abusive. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the money, but I'm going to hide it from Jack. <laughs> You're like, don't think that's going to work out. It absolutely doesn't. Jack <laughs> has been uh, being so abusive, but also he is abusing meth. He's stealing all the money she makes stripping and like using it on drugs and not giving it back to her. It's like a really volatile relationship. And then he finds out that she did this movie and like loses it on her, but is also like, well, how much money can you make? And like, you can continue. What is the one of the quotes that like when they were, you know, when she gets back with them after like multiple, obviously multiple abuses and then in and out of drugs, in and out of this port and blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, I stayed with him because I didn't know any other guys I could sleep with, do drugs with, and throw dishes at. <laughs> like, wow, that is super healthy. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. like, those are, you know, it's like knock him off the list, like in my yeah. relationships. Like, well, these are the three things I, I need. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And also, I feel like that's that's Neil Strauss writing a pithy line. I mean, and then she, like, Jack starts cheating on her. And at 24 years old, she gets a boob job. And a huge part of it is that she's hoping if she makes her boobs bigger, that Jack will find her more attractive and, like, reinvest himself in the relationship. Um, And then she finds... Jack cheating again, and I want to read this page. I had a gun I'd bought while I was dancing. When he came home that night, I pointed the gun straight at his head with one hand and threw the tattoo book at him with the other. What the fuck is this? I screamed. I can't believe you're still seeing that skanky bitch because she saw that he was giving tattoos to this woman he was cheating on her with in his tattoo book. I wanted to hear what he had to say for himself. And then I was going to shoot him. I didn't care what the consequences were. He was my life. He raised his hand and knocked the gun out of my fingers. It clattered on the black and white tile floor. I bent down to grab it and he kicked me in the chin so hard that I flipped backwards. We fought for hours that night, which was nothing new to us. It didn't stop until he picked me up and threw me across our bedroom. The next morning, I drove myself to the emergency room where they told me that my bone was chipped. When I came home, I dragged my phone into the bathroom and shut the door. I needed to talk to someone. I finally decided to call Nikki back, which was a woman that she's been seeing. And this kind of starts the end of their relationship. But like, it is so extremely abusive. And it's the relationship that teaches her how to be in a relationship. I feel like one of the most like surprising takeaways from the book in her life is how like, it was like the other, like the men in her, like her father and her brother, like were, she was very close to the whole time. You know, they were like the ones that she. But they're also not great, good guys. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, but they're better than the guys she dated, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, but, <laughs> but also I wonder, like, I wonder if their real story, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, she, she just, so much happens to her. And like, after this moment, she starts doing more meth to kind of numb from this breakup. Jack is like, I'm actually officially breaking up with you. And he's like, I'm disgusted by how much meth you're doing and how thin you've gotten when he is the one who introduced her to meth. And he's like, you're disgusting. I'm breaking up with you. And she's like on meth and she's like clinging to him. She's like, please don't leave me because she just like can't, feels she can't live without him, takes a bunch of pills. And then it gets blurry after that where like she 
gets a hold of her dad who had like started going on the run. So his phone number was always changing, but she's like, I wasn't that so confusing? Like, what was that? Yeah, that part is very confusing. Like the whole time, but she like, she talks about like her dad and her brother with like so much respect. But then in the end, and like there's parts of it where she's like, they asked me for money and I'm pissed, but like I want to give them money and support them. Like it does kind of yeah, go a little but it's bit like, back and forth. What are they running from? <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're they're literally on the run changing. So she just like loses touch with her dad because she'll call the house. It'll just be disconnected because they've moved and he's like, they're coming for us. And you're like, who? And this yeah, is her. Like, are you paranoid on yeah. like meth, maybe? Like, are they or all- did you do something? So Yeah. Okay, but somehow a friend gets her on a plane. Her dad is like, just get home. She she gets on this plane and is in such bad shape that she is wheeled off the plane by a stewardess. She's in a wheelchair and she's so thin and emaciated that her dad doesn't even recognize her when he, when she gets off the plane. Like he, he doesn't even realize like this is who he's supposed to be picking up. She's like 75 pounds or something. Yeah. Like, insane, yeah. And she, but she has this, kind of time with her dad and her brother where they nurse her back to health, where she like has somewhere to live and they're taking care of her and she's like eating again and she's getting, I don't want to fully say sober, but she's not using meth. She briefly becomes a Scientologist. Uh, (laughs) That was was way too short in the book. She's like, we were a Scientologist for a little bit, but it was too expensive, which is true. Very expensive (laughs) to be a Scientologist. (laughs) But weren't you like, wait, what? I'm sorry, wait, what? No, I, and it's just yeah, gone. Yeah, I remember that. It was just like a little like line item. Like, okay, oh, all right. And yeah. That's like, new? Oh, okay. Well, if you say Scientology, like I'm going to need a chapter. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a paragraph. And then, <laughs> then the book gets into something I hate, which is like, it's just transcripts of her, her dad, and her brother, and sometimes different versions of those, just having conversations about what life was like growing up. And like, I... That is, like, I do not pick up a book to read a transcript. There's also diary entries. I just, the middle section feels like Neil Strauss got tired. He's like, okay, yeah. this is too much story. I'm tired. I'm not going to do all this. I didn't like it. But what did you think? I mean, the transcripts, like, didn't really bother me because it was kind of nice to see it, like, to see them at, I mean, you could, like, kind of read their conversation from all of their points of view. Um, yeah. Which, I guess, made me kind of, like, see her father and her brother, like, more as people and not just, like, as these figures that pop in and out that are loved mm. or hated, one or the other. The diary entries, I I just think they're kind of annoying because they're handwritten. So I'm like, ah. Like, like you know, yeah, reading yeah, people's like, handwriting and everything. But I was, like, one of the love letters that she wrote to, like, the guy Victor in it. I was like, wow, she has, like, some very, like, beautiful, like, language. Like, she's just, like, a very, like, smart, like— Wait, do you want to read it? I mean, it's a really long letter. Hold on. Okay. He gave me a few playful pecks on my arms and my face, and he gave me the most passionate and deep kiss I've ever even assumed there could be. My God, I wanted to stay here in his arms and make love to him over and over again until my body was so tired it had to stop. But I had to leave. He is the one that I want to be with day and night, but I don't think you know that. Try to understand how much I want and need to be with you. Sorry for making it so long, but I couldn't tell you any other way. I will never, ever stop wanting you. I don't know. This is 80. This is like, this is like a, Teenage girl. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's June 9th, 1988. It also really reminds me of just how intensely you feel when you're a teenager. You know what I mean? Like this man, Victor, yeah. is like never going to appear again. Like he is not her great love. But like in that moment, like could have been. Yeah. You know? I yeah. appeared 
through the window and there he was. No, he wasn't a figment of my imagination. He was real. He was standing beneath my open window, staring up at me. We greeted each other and I yearned to hold him close to me like I so often thought about. I feel like we were definitely that dramatic in high school. Like, oh my God. Can you believe what happened, like, at the woodsy last night? Like, it was was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, if you don't know what a woodsy is, it's a party where they announce the mile marker off in the forest, and you drive deep into the forest till you see the mile marker, then go look for the the bonfire. (laughs) And then you have an underage drinking mayhem party. Yeah, and usually sleep in the car, but... (laughs) Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, so she basically spends a few months at home. Then she really needs money. So uh, Nikki, this woman she'd been in a relationship with, gets her a spot Um, dancing again in Vegas at the Crazy Girl show, and she writes this. On the last night of the show, Jack showed up unannounced. He looked terrible. His beautiful chestnut hair was completely shaven, and he was so emaciated that his bones were practically ripping through his flesh. After the performance, he asked me out to lunch, and I accepted. I knew that I was over him like a butterfly is over a cocoon. He said everything he could to win me back, but but when I looked in his eyes, I didn't feel a thing. When I left in that afternoon, it was a turning point in my life. The insecure 16-year-old tag-along who first had a crush on him was dead, and he killed her. I now had the confidence to rebuild my life by myself. Oh, that part always gets me. 
So yeah, this is this huge shift in her life where she's like, I'm going to make something of myself. She's out of this relationship, um, but she's like still going through a lot. And she basically focuses on becoming a very famous, successful porn star. And I want to read, it's honestly a lot of really helpful information. Like I'm not in the porn star field, but like, should you be? Like, wow, this book. She wrote- yeah. The short guide to how to make it as a female porn star. One, show up on time. Two, don't do drugs. Three, don't date or marry any man. <laughs> it's like, like, it's very funny, but it's also like, because that's how like dangerous and bad and psychotic and like they'll own you and ruin you. I mean, I feel like that's a good good advice for like really most careers. <laughs> like not just being a porn star. Like, <laughs> you're right. You're not wrong, Alex. Like, be independent and show up on time. Do your job. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, she said the job of a porn star is not a calling or even an option for most women. However, if you make the right decisions and set the right boundaries for yourself, it can be a great living because you'll make a lot of money while doing very little work. And you'll get more experience in front of the camera than any Hollywood actress. Though watching porn may seem degrading to some women, the fact that it's one of the few jobs for women where you can get to a certain level, look around, and feel so powerful, not just in the work environment, but as a sexual being, so fuck Gloria Steinem. I was like, Jenna, come on. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say fuck Gloria Steinem? <laughs> and you compare it to like the, the male porn industry and she's like, find a hot chick that wants to do porn and make her your girlfriend. Like if, when yeah. She, she oh interviews the, the men how, like, how, if you're a male. Yeah, like how to get into the industry and it's like the whole paragraph or a whole uh, chapter about that is basically just find a really hot chick that wants to be in porn, follow her around, and like make her your bitch. Also, it doesn't <laughs> matter if you're hot or good or cool. All right, yeah, Not at, all that's irrelevant. All that's <laughs> irrelevant. Women get a boob job. Be anorexic. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like I remember reading the book and thinking she was like very powerful and cool because, and now I look back, I'm like, oh, this was that. 2004 faux feminism. And Jenna's basically like, I'm a woman and I do what I want, therefore feminism, (laughs) you know? And just sort of like, and it was in that moment to be like, I, she's going to go to run like one of the first female porn companies. Like she is going to be in control of her career. Like she is doing a lot of things that are like pushing culture forward. And in that moment was like, wow, what a powerful woman. She's in charge of her own, you know? Well, and and it is, yeah. yeah, And like, I mean, I guess it's relative, you know, to being a porn star, but it is like, and why she was so successful and everything was that like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, okay, well don't just take money for, don't just go in and have them put it in every hole and have 20 guys gangbang you and do all this. No, you need to like write in your contract that you only, you know, you only have like three guys at a time or like you won't have like, yes, you know, no anal or no like this, that, and the other. It is. That's better than being just used and abused as a porn star, but it's. Totally. And it's like the (laughs) the sex industry will always exist. It'll always exist. And the reason that there's so much um, abuse in sex work is because because things like this don't exist, like boundaries, consent, rules. Like they're like the people who make a choice to uh, do sex work or to be in porn, like rarely get valued as working individuals. And like, so her book, while she is saying fuck Gloria Steinem, is actually pretty incredible for the year it is. She writes like, Here's how much money you make. She prints what a porn star contract looks like in the book. She gives the salary. She does all the rules Alex laid out of like how many partners, like 
using protection, she's talking about like, you get, you get sick, you get run down. Like the hours are long. Like she really just like lays out like how to do this career. And I was like, this is. Well, it's like even like the monthly, a monthly like uh, STD testing and like the, yeah. all that. Oh. I mean, it is like very, I feel like I guess stricter industry than you think of. But then also, yeah, when it comes to like women and everything, it's still the porn industry. Like if you don't see a porn where they're like, oh, let me, let me cuddle and like touch your hair. No, they're like, get bend over, like next position. You know, they're like aggressively fucking and abusing women in porn. They're well, not. Yeah, like it's a, it's a <laughs> they're really. Objects. It's visually yeah. <laughs> abusive. It's run by men. It actually abuses women. But yeah. the, I, you know, but the idea of like, like <laughs> the search for porn that I could enjoy is <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever found it, but like the closest I ever got was like this Swedish, it was like some Swedish company. And I just remember being like, wow, these like, these houses are so clean. The couch looks nice. <laughs> like it looks like a nice place to live in. They would start with like, the girl was like reading a book and he would just be, softly be like, hello, would you like to have sex? I assume in Swedish, <laughs> it seemed nice. And it just seems very like polite. And I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like this uh-huh. before. <laughs> I'm going to note that. Scandinavian porn. <laughs> Look into that. <laughs> it's probably just like one weird little company. I mean, I was just, but it's really interesting too of like, um, like women, non-binary individuals, trans individuals, like we have these like porn desires for like what we would want in a porn and it just like doesn't exist because the industry is run by straight dudes. <laughs> yeah, it would be the Scandinavian porn. So I'm going to look it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll link you. Um, but she, then she writes like, never give the porn company internet rights or permission to use the material and other products. Never allow a company to own your name. You are the product. I was like, this is incredible advice. But this is like kind of when, if you think of when the internet was coming out too, like like Wi-Fi hadn't existed yet, like in 2004. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. we're still like, we're still like hardwiring. Yeah, our, in 2004. And she's like, like, Wikipedia was like our research base. And that was like just the new big things. Now I feel like it's, why would you pay for porn? You don't go to a store and buy a VHS. You get it on the internet now. Oh, totally. But but you're right. In 2004, like that was just starting. And in this book is like her telling like pe- women, like don't let them own your internet rights. And I I want to relate this to Haley Page, who's a wedding designer. She's on Say Yes to the Dress. Haley Page is a huge wedding line. And I mean, 15 years after when, she, when Jenna's talking about this, Haley signed a contract where the bridal company like owns her Instagram handle. And they took her Instagram handle from her, of her own name, Haley Page. And she's now, they're now in a court battle where she's not allowed to use her own name on a podcast online. She's not allowed to identify herself because That's they- bizarre. Yeah, because they were like, we were buying your bridal brand, which is Haley Page. And and she found out they owned her. And she's currently in like a court case against them. Um, but anyways, it just made me think like, Jenna's over here, like giving this like incredible career advice. yeah. Well, and that's like when they started that, you know, kind of company. So her first big contract is Wicked Productions. She talks her contract into 48K a year. It's $6,000 like per film and an amount of films. And it's like huge for her at that time. They give you a gift upon signing your contract. And she's like, a refrigerator, please. Because she doesn't have a refrigerator because in LA, apartments don't come with refrigerators. Um, And then, yeah, then later it gets like um, awful and she leaves him and starts her own female-led porn production company, which is so important. And then we sort of, her career starts taking off. And this is where we get to the Howard Stern incident where, you know, they submitted photos and she submits this photo that he's like 
this looks like a normal, happy girl. Like you could be a normal, and he's using the word normal, like model. What are you doing? And yeah, you could be a guest model. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's like. Like have like a dildo, like like like, Google, yeah, but, or, like cross-eyed with a dildo in her hand. Or that is the photo. It's like it's like I was this, like she does look really cute. <laughs> she does look cute, yeah. and she, she's making like a goofy face and holding a huge dildo. And Howard Stern's like, get her on the show, and this really does like kind of uh, buoy her career. But she says this is kind of a pivotal moment and theme of the book. She's like, I have to like shine. Like this is Howard Stern, and then she writes. But then Howard asked me if I'd ever been molested or abused. It was the one question I wasn't prepared for. My mind flashed back, not to preacher, but to something far worse. It hadn't even crossed my mind in years. I think I had successfully managed to block it out. But as soon as Howard asked that question, the images came flashing through my mind like a flicker film. The red pickup truck door, the blinding sun, the mosquito bites, the desert. And it's sophomore year of high school in a town called Fromberg, Montana. And a a truck of boys picks her up off the side of the road and really brutally rapes her and then leaves her lying there in a rocky field. Like left her for dead, basically. Yeah. That's and it. yeah, that's, oh God. And, and she had blocked it out because that's sort of the gift and the curse of trauma where like your brain shuts off so that you can survive this and don't have to witness it. But then also here she is on Howard Stern suddenly remembering this awful incident. And when she gets home from school, she tells her dad she got into a fight and like doesn't tell anyone. Well, that's what she told it. And I thought that was interesting too. She told her dad she got in a fight because she, her, like in her mind, if we called the police or it went farther than that, my dad and my brother would murder them. And then they would be in jail for the rest of their life. And I would lose everyone. Yeah. And I'm like, that is such, I, I mean, I totally understand that logic, especially as a girl. As a child. And it is so true. What's specifically interesting in the book is that she said, um, the question had crossed my mind before. Was I in this business because I was victimized or because I wanted to succeed at something? I examined it from every angle I could and every time came to the same conclusion that it didn't make a shred of difference. It occurred too late in my development to be formative. That is categorically untrue. Whether it happened or not, I still would have become a porn star. I've been to enough therapists to know that, which is sort of the awful part of this book, which is that she's sort of speaking for all porn stars and is put into this position where the draw of Jenna Jameson is that she loves it and she's choosing it. She's having a great time. She loves being here. And this is part of her popularity. So she won't allow the truth of maybe her specific situation, which is that a lot of this deeply affected her. And trauma is always formative, no matter what age you're at, and especially when you're a child. Well, I was like, how is that not formative? Like, yeah, but she's like, God. she has to prove, like, no, I want to be right. here. I want to be here. Like, that's kind of goes back to that, like, faux feminism. Like, I'm a powerful woman in control, but, like, the true power is, like, t- talking about everything that brought you there. But in that year, it was still, oh, it was still, it was still incredible that she was talking about rape and using the word assault and, like, I think that part of this book, even though there's a lot of really bad things about it, was probably incredible to have words for as teenagers too. Then she meets Jay, who is going to become her husband in this book and her first husband. Um, She has other relationships. There's lots of details we're skipping. Jay is, I guess, technically her second husband, but she meets him and he is also a porn star, right? He's a director or like runs like a producer director. It's like he's a producer director who's like also sometimes in it. He he was never in it until her, but he was married or was 
Chasey Lane's boyfriend. That's right. That's right. Oh, so and he would put a mask he on. He only did so. porn stars, basically. Right. And he would never show his face in the films because of— Yeah, yeah. He deserves dignity, or and that's dignity? <laughs> I don't know. But— Great question. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot happening, so I'm just going to kind of give the overview, which is that a lot of stuff happens, but she and Jay eventually come together and, by her words, have a— the healthiest healthiest relationship she's had, even though there's a lot of unhealthy stuff in here. And they form her company where he is like producing and she is like kind of in charge of her image. And she said it's the healthiest. So uh, she said it's the healthiest relationship of her life. But then she still has one more film to do with Wicked and she leaves to go to the film. And he says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to drive over there and get you and make you pay for this. And uh, then so she leaves yeah. the porn. And then, and then like, a month later, he leaves her completely and just like, I have to go. You don't understand, like, because something, that whatever this is, I can't tell you anything. I can't tell you anything about it, but it might come back to haunt me later. So I have to do this now. And like writes her love letters every day. And she's like, he's just so honest. And I'm like, he, wait, so you have to, you have unfinished business and he's yeah. going to like kill you over it. Like, yeah. And also like, very volatile, but it's, oh, you know what? But too? maybe like, they can throw plates at each other. I don't know. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> I mean, it's so odd because I also have like, again, I have my 16-year-old brain imprint of this book, which is that like, I think I still have her telling me it's a good relationship and like wanting them to wear those wedding photos. And you're like, oh my God, she's happy. And like totally blacking out. <laughs> The, the the parts where it's like, it's not a good relationship. It's also a spoiler alert, not going to last. But she's like, <laughs> yeah, it's honest. We talk to each other and it's like, this is not good. This is not good. Okay, so then we we really make it to the end of the book and I want, I want to read some of the last two paragraphs. Um, and it ties back to Preacher. One of the girls there said she had visited their house in Maryland. He collects everything you do, she told me. What are you talking about? I asked her. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And this, she's talking about Preacher. He has a whole room of your photos and videos and everything you've ever done, she continued. He's like your biggest fan. My stomach turned. How could a creature I hated so much be my biggest fan? It made no sense. I suppose no one ever thinks that the actions they take are wrong or evil. They simply justify them after the fact. The only problem was that I couldn't figure out whether his strange trophy room was an unconscious form of penance or pride. I thought about the random events that had led me to this point in my life. If I had never gone to Jack's tattoo shop, if the tattoo shop had not led me to the crazy horse, and if the crazy horse had not led me to Jennifer, and if Jennifer had not led me to Julie Parton, Jenna Jameson would not exist. All the wrong choices I had made served only to ferry me to the right place. If my constitution weren't so thick, however, perhaps destiny wouldn't have been so kind. I still think sometimes that this is all a dream I'm having as I'm lying emaciated on the floor of my old Las Vegas apartment the day Jack left me. I should have been dead. I don't know why I was spared. And then the last chapter in the book, she gets married. Yeah. I mean, that is true. It is like, you know, all these traumatic events, you know, happen, like they did lead up to all that. I mean, I totally get that. Yeah, but. it's, I, I will say too, though, I think especially in these books, like when you're writing them, when you are just fully in the middle of the trauma, like there's this need to be like all these horrible things like happen for a reason and now I'm in a good place. And like, I kind of think the better thing to do is to be like all these horrible things happened and like they were horrible and it shouldn't have happened. And like, it's not because it led her to a good place. Like it happened and it shouldn't have. And like, that's a side of like where she's at in life. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah. And she said, look, you know, with the stuff that, that wasn't, the gang rape wasn't formidable, but like all of that was. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, she's like, at this point, she is, all of this is unprocessed. It's not in hindsight. A lot of it's through Neil Strauss's voice. And I think, so, I mean, I was always invested in Jenna after this point. Like, you know, I just like was always like, what, you know, I, I had a, a, an affection for her. So, Kind of the postscript of Jenna Jameson, I'll tell you the things I remember, then you tell me what you took from it. So I remember seeing that she had popped up. She was going to be in a season of couples therapy on VH1. I've never seen that show before or since, but the Jenna Jameson season, I was like, I got to see what Jenna's up to. And (laughs) she basically later marries a wrestler who leaves her for another woman. And then to get them back that woman's ex and Jenna get together. They pulled a Shania Twain swisheroo, you know, where like the partners basically like two partners cheat and the other two partners are like, well, we're in love now. And that couples, <laughs> that, that season of couples therapy VH1 is her and this guy really trying hard to like be in love with each other. And they, they're just, it's a full revenge relationship. Like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of her relationships well, and especially a lot of her relationships with women were like solely for revenge, I feel like. I mean, even some yeah, of her porn not, in the beginning, like the reasons behind it were for revenge. To but, get at someone. And, yeah, and make some. And I will say like the Jenna Jameson in that- Teenage girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Jenna Jameson in that show and now is not the same Jenna that's portrayed in the book. And I don't know if the Jenna portrayed in the book ever actually existed or if that was just like highly crafted, but like- She's been through a lot. And then I went to her Instagram and I was like, what's Jenna Jameson up to? Yeah, I did that today too. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I so I read this book like a year ago when we were first going to do the episode before you went to Antarctica. So yeah. this, is my, this was my last IG check-in with her where she is like, she has a Poshmark career. Like she sells on Poshmark. Like she's just a reseller, like crazy. And she's really into keto the diet keto. And I was deep diving on her so badly that there was a moment where I was like, should I do keto? Like, yeah, like (laughs) I should like scramble one egg and like a pound of ranch sauce um, and cheese for breakfast every morning. And that's when I was like, oh, I have to, I have to stop. I have to stop. Like she got me. Do you know what I mean? Like, which like people on Instagram will get you where you're like, maybe I should eat a block of cheese a day for a diet. And uh, I almost turned keto and then I, I had to stop following Jenna. So what did, (laughs) what did you find from Jenna all these years? Oh no, just recently she's been in the, I didn't go that far back, but like she's in Hawaii. The kids were born in like 2009 and um, her dad died in 2010, and that's when, like, it was all these domestic disputes, and that's when they broke up, and she got, like, a DUI. So, I don't know. I mean, she might have kind of gone off the rails after yeah. all that as yeah. well. Um, and, but now she's but, remarried. And she has, like, a four-year-old, and they live in Hawaii, and he's an yeah, Israeli guy. I don't—he's not—I don't think he's famous at all. I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah, But, and she- okay, but the one thing that she's doing now that I was like, holy shit— um, it's a 3D, like, it's like a video game, and it's a, basically a 3D model, like, to orgasm. It's a sex stimulation video where you make Jenna Jameson, or it's like a virtual Jenna oh. where you make her orgasm. Oh, no. <laughs> like, okay, wow. Like, this this uh, virtual reality thing has really gone too far. But <laughs> Well, and it's only going farther. Like, it's going to take over uh, our sexual life. culture. Whew. In real life. I don't know. I don't think I'm ready for that. I'm just not ready. 
I'm not ready. <laughs> um, but I will say, now that we're at the end of the book, we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. And I do want to thank Jenna for shedding light on the porn star industry. And she did push culture forward for women. We have so much farther to go. And I will say this book has a lot of atrocities in it, but it also had some like really good info. Right. It's like, if you're going to be a porn star, this is how you do it right. But it's porn. Well, it's a misogynist industry. Like it's, it's run, it's run with misogyny. It's a racist industry. Like until the industry changes hands, like it will be a very dangerous place for not straight white men. Um, but so that's why I liked her book though, because it like, it brought it into conversation and like, there's a lot of evil things in this book and a lot of sad things in this book, but a lot of like positive change for 2004. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in general, I think I would like to thank her more for our teenage selves reading this than for now, because I feel like now, I mean, first off, we're, we've been through a lot in the last 18 years or whatever. And so you read it, like we're a little, so maybe like now we're judgier, I guess. <laughs> But oh, back yeah. then it was like, oh my God, like what a strong woman. What's that like? like- <laughs> oh, back then it was the best book I've ever read. Back then yeah, I was like, exactly. Oh, like I went she's, better, you know. <laughs> yeah, like she's in control of her sexuality and I'm not. And like, how cool would it? And like, she survived all these things. She survived so much, but some of the things were similar to things I was going through. And like, um, watching her like walk through it was like so powerful at the time. I will say, I also think this book gave a lot of, negative, but I'm really glad. I'm really, I am really glad that I read it. I'm really like glad a, we read it. Um, and yeah, I'm glad I'm more happy about reading it back then than I am now, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. I agree. I agree. Like but, I found reading it again, tough. I was like, Oh, this is tough. This is really tough. <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> this is very tough. And you know what? Listen, I'd like to thank her for that two handed blowjob. I don't think anyone I gave it to will thank her for it. But <laughs> I sure was <laughs> having a pepper grinder. <laughs> a real great time. <laughs> Cracked pepper for yourself. Um, <laughs> So we end every podcast with the book deal test. First question is, did the author share her truth? I think so. I mean, I feel like it was definitely. I think as much as she could. Whether it's not. Yeah. Like what she thinks is her truth. Yes. Or like what she's known to have. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think she definitely gave it her all in the moment when she wrote it. Even though it was clear she hadn't processed a lot of things. Um, Okay. Question number two. Was the book entertaining to read? I thought it was pretty entertaining, yeah. Yeah, just some of the random quotes and, like, even, like, the random sex scenes. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like at one point when she goes to Cannes Festival and she's like, oh, my God, I love France because the guys here are really hot and the girls aren't, so the odds are always in my favor. I was like, Jenna. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, who says? <laughs> I mean, I... As a kid, this was like the most entertaining book of all time. As an adult, I did I found it exhausting. Um, yeah. Although I would say, like, if the book was a quarter this length, it could be like incredible. It is very long. It's got a lot of pictures, though. <laughs> a lot of pictures, but still very long. Okay, last question: Did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Um, back then, absolutely. <laughs> um, did it elevate my life? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think also, um, like at 16 meeting someone who ruins you was the exact thing that happened to me. Right. And so I think even to look back at this and know that I was reading this book at 
the time also kind of makes me sad because even when you're like in an abusive situation, you just don't recognize it as that. And so literature right. and books and people can talk to you, which I'm not, I'm not saying that happened. Maybe the Jenna book did, but like you, you don't recognize it as you because that's the trick of abuse. Like you, you don't think it's that bad or you think it's in control until it's like so far gone. And I don't know. I just like have a very soft spot of like knowing I read this book about this like teenage girl who got destroyed, you know, like while I was like yeah. in the middle of it myself. And I, I really do like, I just, it's so weird, but I was just like, I just like want so much happiness for her. You know, even though right. she's yeah. sometimes not a great person, like, I just like want her to be okay. Right. Like, you know, it's like, please learn, start learning from these mistakes because like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, well, you know, yeah, please 16, find, like, find the peace and happiness and safety. Yeah. 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 Safety. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So in that way, yeah, it really did elevate my life. And I hope, I hope somewhere like maybe it helped me a lot more than I even realized. I don't know. I don't know. But if I keep going, I'll cry. So let's end <laughs> the podcast. Oh, also, I want to give a really special shout out on this podcast um, to your mom, Kelly, who um <laughs> she's gonna be you know, so Ke- happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly and um my mom, you know, really took care of both of us. Like we lived at each other's houses and we, as you may have heard um, us talking, were not always great teenagers <laughs> and um, kind of like getting to reconnect with your mom and like what a strong, powerful, like feminist, like anti-racist, like she's just such a powerful, cool woman and getting to reconnect with her. I'm like, oh my, I don't know. It just feels like it heals a part of my heart. Um, and especially knowing that that you guys are still out there and fighting the fight. Yeah. We got some cool moms. <laughs> yeah, we really do. We really I, I do. Guess maybe, yeah, that has something to do with how I, we turned out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think you might be one of my mom's best friends. <laughs> Not only mine, but I hers. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. I love you so much. I can't wait thank to you. see you. Thank you. I love you so much. That's all for this week's episode. Uh, I don't know if you could hear it, but I was that was a hard episode for me to do, uh, but I was trying to keep it light. But like, it was a really intense episode for me for many reasons. So thank you for being here for it. If you really, really love this podcast and you want one extra episode a month, join our Patreon. You can join for just a dollar a month and you get all of the bonus episodes. Or if you can give more, do the $5 a month option. But we have a pay what you can option. It's open to everyone. So consider joining patreon.com slash Chelsea Fontes. It's linked in the show notes. And um, your Patreon funds go to support the production of this podcast. I want to give a shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. Uh, whoo, what a book. I think I need to go lie down for like a week. Mm-hmm.